Good afternoon. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. And we welcome you to our weekly open-air outreach. This week we're coming from Partick Station in the West End of Glasgow. And we're very glad you're able to join us, whether in person here or on our live stream. This is something that we seek to do once a week, God willing, to come out from our churches and from our studies and from our pulpits and to come out and to bring to your attention just something uh, concerning the Christian gospel. Because we know today that many people really do not have a accurate idea of what the Christian gospel is. And without being disrespectful to anyone, we realize that most people really are ignorant of authentic Christianity. Well, that's one reason why we come out, that you might be informed about the things that really matter. And we want to say right at the beginning that we take all our, all our teaching, all our doctrine, all that we want to say, we take it from the Word of God. And friends, this is what we would urge you to do when you are confronted with any kind of uh, religious teacher or religious philosophy. Take it to the Word of God. Go there to the Word of God and assess what the speaker says and see that it complies with what is found in God's Word. Because there are many charlatans out today, many, many religions, many people promising this and that, but ultimately, friends, there is only one religion. There is only one Savior. There is only one way to God. There's only one way to be reconciled to God. And that way is through the way that He Himself has provided for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ Himself, He said to His own disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And there he's stating in clear and unmistakable terms that he is the only Savior. He's the only one who has come down from heaven. And he's the only one who has returned to heaven. And he's the only one that can take us to heaven. All other religions and religious teachers, if they do not recognize the uniqueness of the Lord Jesus Christ, then they are to be rejected. We are ones who seek to follow him and to follow him alone. Now you may well ask me, and it's a, it's a, it's a pertinent and relevant question, you may well ask me then, what's What's Christianity all about? What's so important about Christianity? Well, we have to, first of all to 
recognise that we have a great problem. A great problem. Now what is that great problem? Well that problem is called sin. It's a very small word, three letters. We don't hear much of it. Versation today, even if you go to a Christian place of worship, you might not hear much about sin. But the Bible does not make sense unless we have a firm grounding in this word called sin. Right at the very beginning, when God created the heaven and the earth, at the end of his time of creation, what happened? He made mankind. God created man, male and female, after his own image in knowledge, righteousness and holiness. And therefore our first parents, and they were called Adam and Eve, were created by God. Adam was created out of the dust and Eve was created from Adam. And when they were created, they were perfect. They were pure. They were upright. They were holy. And because of this, they were able to have a perfect relationship with their Creator. And for however long this relationship lasted, it was good. It was pure. It was as it should have been. The Creator and their creatures enjoyed a wonderful relationship. But God the Creator had, a, had an enemy and still has an enemy. And that enemy is active today. And that enemy is called Satan. He's a fallen angel. And he, he's out to destroy the works of God. And he came along to Eve and he tempted her. He tempted her to break a commandment that God had given to Adam and to Eve. God had provided a wonderful garden for our first parents. And he put them in that garden. And he gave them one clear, simple command. They were able to eat from all the trees in the garden apart from one. They could eat the fruit of all the trees apart from one. They were told, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And if you did, if you did eat, you would die. There, a very clear and simple command, a very solemn command, because if they broke that commandment, they would die. The devil comes along and says, did God really say that? God really didn't say that at all. He didn't really mean that. What, what God wants to do is to keep you back. He wants to deprive you. He does not want you to be like him. That's why he gave this commandment. See, look at the fruit. It's good. Why don't you eat it? Well... What happened? Well, maybe you know what happened. Eve succumbed to the temptation. She ate the fruit and then she gave some to her husband. 
and he ate the fruit also. You might think, well, that's not really a big deal, is it? They just ate some fruit, they disobeyed one commandment. It's not really a big deal, is it? Well, it is actually, because it's high treason. They rebelled against a gracious and a loving God who had provided everything for them. All they could possibly need and want were provided for them. And God simply gave that, give them that commandment in order to test whether they truly loved him or not. Well, they failed. And since that time, sin came into existence. Sin came into the existence of humanity. Our first parents, they fell. They became sinners. They had a sinful nature. And because we've all come from Adam and Eve, we have inherited their sinful nature. And the Bible would tell us that even at conception we have inherited this sinful nature. And when we come out of the womb, show itself. It will manifest itself in sinful thoughts, sinful words, and sinful actions. And I ask you today to look at your own life, to look at your own experience. If you're a parent, you've had children, and you brought them into this world, and in the process of time, they become disobedient, they fight, they steal, they do all kinds of things that you never taught them to do. You never taught them to do these things. Why do they do it? They do it because in common with all mankind, they have inherited a sinful nature. And soon, that sinful nature will manifest itself in sinful thoughts, words, and actions. There, friends, briefly is our problem. We're all sinners in the sight of God. We might be law-abiding citizens, and we might not fear the police coming to our door to accuse us or to charge us or to bring us to court. That's very possible. Most of whom I'm speaking to, no doubt, are law-abiding citizens. But it's before God. And as far as God is concerned, our Creator, He declares in His Word that we are sinners. Read it for yourselves in the Bible. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That includes all of us. No exceptions whatsoever, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Again, you might think, well, that's not really a problem, is it? Well, it is a problem, because you're going to stand before God, and God is holy and pure. He is undefiled. He is righteous. He is all righteous. And he cannot and will not tolerate sin 
because sin is offensive to him. It's against his nature. Sin is any want of or conformity unto the law of God. And the law of God tells us we have sinned. God has given us a law. He has given us the Ten Commandments. He has written them in our hearts. It's part of being human. But because of sin, that law in our hearts is not as clear as it should be. It's somewhat defaced. It's scarred. It's out of focus. But he's given it to us in our in our Bibles. He has written it for us so that we can know what he wants us to do. And the more that we look at God's law, the Ten Commandments, the more that we look at it, the more that we read it, the more that we understand it, the more that we see its application, the more that we have to hold our hands up and acknowledge that the Bible is true. There is none righteous, no, not one. We are sinners before a holy God. Well, that's our position. We might rebel against it. We might not accept it. But that won't change anything. Because what matters is, is what God says. Because we are going to be accountable unto Him. Having been created by Him, we are accountable unto Him. Now then, there's our problem. A problem that the world cannot deal with. Our politicians and the movers and the shakers of society, those who determine public opinion, our educationalists, our industrialists, our, those who are in charge of the economy and all kinds of other walks of life, they don't really recognize the problem. They might see the fruit of the problem. They might see what sin has done. They might see the family breakdowns. They might see the drug abuse. They might know the, the drunkenness and the sexual abuse and the rapes and the murders and the muggings and the robberies and all the things that happen because of sin. But only the Bible recognizes the real problem. And only the Bible addresses our greatest need. How can this possibly be? What has God done there, therefore, to address our greatest need? God has sent forth His Son, Jesus Christ. That's God's answer to your greatest need. That is God's answer to my greatest need. My greatest need, friend, is to have my sins forgiven. I cannot forgive my sins myself. I cannot do anything to take away my sins. It's impossible. There is no point in going to a minister of religion or going to a priest or a cardinal or a pope or anyone else because they cannot take away your sins. Only Jesus Christ can take away your sins. And in order to be saved 
you must have your sins forgiven. How can you possibly have your sins forgiven? Only God can forgive sins. That's perfectly true. But friends, what the Bible teaches us is that Jesus Christ, the God-man, He has power to forgive our sins. He demonstrated it when He was upon the earth. There's an incident recorded for us in the Gospels of four men. And they took their friend to see Jesus. Now their friend was a cripple. And by this time in the ministry of the Lord Jesus, crowds were following him. So that the place that he was speaking was packed. And they couldn't get near Jesus. Here they were with their friend on a stretcher and they were carrying him towards Jesus because they wanted Jesus to heal the paralytic but they couldn't get near him what did they do? well they weren't going to be put off instead they went up on the roof and they took away some tiles and they lowered their friend down right beside to where Jesus was standing and Jesus saw this man and Jesus said to him, Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven, he said. Now there were teachers of the law there. There were scribes and Pharisees there. And they said to themselves, within themselves, Who can forgive sins but God alone? This man is blaspheming. He cannot forgive sins. And Jesus knew their thoughts. And what did he do? Well, he demonstrated that he had the power. Because he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up thy bed and walk. That you might know that the Son of God hath power on earth to forgive sins. Arise, take up thy bed and walk. And the man did that. He was a man who was paralyzed. But Jesus just spoke the word and he got up. And he began to walk. No, thank you, sir. No, thank you. We'll speak. And there, and basically what Jesus was saying is, listen, if I can heal the paralytic, I can also forgive his sins. And Jesus must forgive your sins. No one else can forgive your sins. And this is the very heart and the very essence of the Christian gospel, that Jesus Christ has come in order to have our sins forgiven. And when our sins are forgiven, friends, we are reconciled to God. Jesus Christ can do what we cannot do ourselves. He can reconcile us to God. At the moment, friends, because we're all sinners, remember that verse that I quoted to you earlier, there is no difference, for all have sinned, and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. We missed the mark. We'll not be in glory unless we have our sins forgiven. But praise be to God. He has provided a saviour. And this saviour is the one who has suffered and died in our room and place. He came and lived a perfect life. And at the end of that life. He was then able to offer up a perfect sacrifice 
to make atonement for our sins. And what that simply means is he was punished in the room and in the place of sinners. He who did not sin, who could not sin, who knew not sin, became a sinner. And God was punishing Christ in the room and in the place of sinners. And here, friends, is the rub of the gospel. When you believe upon Jesus Christ, his righteousness, his obedience is given to you. Your sins are forgiven. Why? Because he has paid the price in your room and in your place. And what God is saying in the gospel is he is willing to receive a substitute. Someone who has suffered and died in our room and in our place. This, friends, therefore, is the very heart of the Christian gospel. Many people will go to church and they might hear a sermon from a minister and basically what the minister will tell them is do your best do your best and God will forgive you. That's not the gospel. Your best will never be good enough. Never. The only way to be reconciled to God is to have Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. He must be the one that saves. He is the one that God has provided. And to think that you can be saved by any other way is basically to say to God, we don't want your way of salvation. We will make our own way to heaven. Well, God calls that nothing but our filthy rags. And we will not be accepted. You need to have Jesus Christ the Lord. He alone can save. Well, friends, it's good to be here this afternoon from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We have another minister with us here this afternoon. And I hope that he will speak to us in a few moments while we take a short break. But may God be pleased to bless his word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon again. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing a local congregation. We minister in this area. We meet every Lord's Day, that Sunday, at 11 a.m., and 6 p.m. We meet at 2 Thornwood Terrace. That's up Dumbarton Road. When you come to the police station, opposite the police station, go up the hill there, and you'll come, first of all, to Thornwood Primary School. Well, we're next door at the crossroads. And we do extend a sincere warm welcome to you to come along 11 or 6 on Sunday or 7.30 on Wednesday evening. Friends, the matter that we're dealing with is no light matter. We cannot dismiss this 
This is concerning the salvation of your never-dying eternal soul. You know, many would tell us that we're just simply flesh and blood. But we're more than that. We're made in the image of God. And God, when he created Adam, breathed life into him and he became a living soul. And we are body and soul. And the body, yes, that will perish. That will return to the dust. But our souls shall live forever. Now that you have been created in some real sense, immortal, you'll live forever. Your soul will live forever. Now Christianity deals with the matter, first and foremost, where will your soul be? Where will it go when you pass into eternity? Yes, it's a serious matter, and we dare not make light of it. But the fact is that we are mortal, and all of us, one day will pass into eternity. There are many atheists today, and they will try to convince themselves and others that there's no life after death. And when we die, it's all over. It's curtains. And that's why they tell us to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And basically their manifesto is... Make the best of this world, because when you die, it's all over. Well, that's not true, of course. Any thinking person will know that that is not true. How do you know it's not true, you might say to me. I know it's not true because Jesus Christ suffered and died. He was taken down from the cross on the Friday evening... He was put into a borrowed tomb. There he stayed Friday evening, all day Saturday. But on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, which is the Lord's Day, he arose. And Jesus Christ is alive. Having suffered death, having been buried, put in a tomb, yet he's now alive. And therefore... The very fact that Jesus Christ has conquered death tells us there is life after death. And therefore you have to prepare for that time. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, the Bible says, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And that's reminding us about the suddenness and the brevity of life. Our lives can end. The Bible says that we might have a, a lifespan of threescore years and ten, which is seventy. Or if by reason of strength, it tells us in Psalm 90, we might manage eighty years. Well, today many of us are going above eighty years, but the point is we're all mortal. And we've only got a short time in this world. 
and in this short time that we have in this world, we are to prepare ourselves for eternity. You know, many people's philosophy is, life is short, let's enjoy it. What it should be, eternity is long, therefore let us prepare for it. And this is what we should do. And Jesus Christ is the only one that can save our souls. Why is this so? Well, it is so, friends, because we are sinners. The Bible declares that we die because we are sinners. There would be no death in this world if there was no sin. Sin, when sin came into this world, then death followed. The wages of sin is death. That's what our Bible teaches us. And that's why Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life. And then at the end of that life, having been rejected and despised and forsaken by his people and condemned as a vile criminal, he was then crucified on Calvary's tree. Now this was all part of God's plan, whereby he could forgive our sins, whereby he could be just and the justifier of sinners. How can, the, how can the life and the death of Christ have any effect upon us? Quite clearly, friends, it's this, that we are to believe upon him. He who knew no sin, that we might receive the righteousness of God in him. And when you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. And he is the one who is able to save our souls. He says in Mark's Gospel, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? There's a thought. There's a question to ponder today. What are you pursuing today? What is occupying your mind? What are you pressing on for? Is it money? Is it possessions? Is it a new job? Is it a new relationship? Is it property? Is it pleasure? Is it entertainment? What is it you want? What if you get everything this world can give you? What if you get it all? Jesus would tell us that one day whatever you get here you're going to leave all behind. And if you don't have your soul saved, what a bargain you've made. What a poor bargain you've made. If you've chased after the things of this world and you have neglected your soul. This is what he means when he says, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. You see, friends, supposing you could get everything this world could give you, it would never compensate for losing your soul. You have to be like an accountant in many ways. You have to put a value on the things of this world. Money, pleasure, beauty, possessions, entertainment, 
happiness, whatever. Put them all in a balance. And then put it aside or alongside your soul. What is it in comparison? Because all of these things of the world you can only have for a short time. But your soul shall live forever and forever and forever. Now where will it live? That's what I want to ask you this afternoon. Where are you destined for? The Bible teaches us. And again I stress that we take all our preaching, all our teaching from the Word of God. The Bible tells us that when we die, we will immediately, that is our souls, will immediately go to God for judgment. And those who have Christ as their Lord and as their Savior will go to be with Christ. What about those who do not have a Savior? What about those who have rejected Jesus Christ and the wonderful free and full offer of the gospel? What will happen to them? Well, they will go to that place that is called hell. A terrible place. A place of torment. A place that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. That's a terrible place. And let's not make light of it as some people do. It's an absolute terrible, terrible place. And Jesus Christ has come in order that we might be saved from this. So, let me ask you then, where will you go when you pass into eternity? What if you were called home tonight, this afternoon? What if you were rushed into eternity? Are you prepared? Are you ready to meet God? Do you have a Savior? Well, rejoice, friend. This, today, is the day of grace. What does that mean? Well, this is a time of God's grace and of God's favor. He has provided a foolproof way of salvation. What does salvation mean? Salvation means to be delivered. It means to be set free. It means to be emancipated. And you may well ask then, to be delivered from what? To be set free from what? It is to be set free from sin, from its guilt, from its power, and ultimately one day to be free from its very presence itself. That's what's in the gospel. That's what the Savior has secured by his life and by his death and by his resurrection. And friends, let me remind you again, we are commending and recommending to you a Savior that is alive. He's alive forevermore. Death no longer has any hold upon Jesus Christ. He suffered and died once. Once. As the Bible says, it is, it is 
appointed for man once to die and after this the judgment. And Jesus Christ came once to suffer and to die. And he did this. And he arose on the third day proving, friends, that his work was accepted. Ask yourself, would God raise to life an imposter? Would God raise to life a liar? No, is the answer. And therefore the very fact that Jesus arose, and now that Jesus has ascended back into heaven, he has been exalted and glorified. He now sits at God's right hand, waiting for that day when he shall return. And when he returns, friend, he will not deal with sin because sin has been dealt with. Instead, he will deal with the sinner. Where do you stand then? What think ye of Christ? Is he your Lord? Is he your Savior? Can you say like Thomas, my Lord and my God? Is he the one you trust upon? Or are you trusting upon yourself? Well, friends, I have to warn you sincerely that if you're trusting in yourself or if you're trusting in any other person, then you'll perish. There's only one way to be reconciled to God, and that's through believing and receiving and trusting and following the Lord Jesus Christ. We're glad to be here this afternoon. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. And we are grateful for this dry weather that the Lord has given to us. We're going to take a very short break to recharge our batteries, but we'll be back in a moment. And may the Lord be pleased to bless His Word to you this afternoon. Good afternoon again. We're here for our weekly open air witness. This week we're coming from Partick Station at the west end of Glasgow. And we're delighted you're able to join with us either in person or on our live stream. And we come out, friends, because we want to pass on something of the good news of the gospel. And we want to speak about a person. And that person is none other than Jesus Christ. And it says in the scriptures concerning him, in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 6, we read, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And there we have a very brief description of the God-man 
the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the very sum and the substance of Christianity. And indeed, there is no Christianity without, without Christ. And first of all, it teaches us here, who being in the form of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He is eternal. He's had no beginning. Because he is eternal, he can have no beginning. And he's the Son of God. God is eternal. And God was always a Father. And Christ was always the Son of God was always His Son. We are humans and we become fathers. But that was not the case with God the Father. He was always a Father. And that's why Christ is eternally begotten. The Son of God is eternally begotten from the Father. And therefore, obviously, he is fully God. And this is what Orthodox Christianity would teach us, that Christ, the God-man, is God in the flesh. And that's important, because if he was just a mere man, he could never save us. The first man was a perfect man. And he succumbed to temptation. And he fell. And if Christ was simply just a mere man, he could never stand up against the temptations of the devil. And furthermore, he could never endure the sufferings, the physical, the mental, and the spiritual sufferings that he incurred on Calvary's tree if he was just a man. It would be impossible. We must preach to you today the God-man, the one who is fully God and fully man. He is the great bridge between a holy God and sinful mankind. He is not half God and half man he is fully God and fully man and therefore he is the ideal saviour I'm not a Mormon sir no I'm a Protestant minister Free Church of Scotland but not a Mormon can I help I you too? Church of Scotland but uh, I wouldn't Prophesize well, I don't prophesy either. I just preach the word of God. But we preach about Jesus, sir. Do you know Jesus? He, he is and he was the Son of God. And he's the one who came to seek and to save. Hello, sir. Yeah, I'm doing okay. Yes, I'm out to try to tell people about Jesus. 
You need to put your faith and trust upon Jesus. The prophet wasn't a son of God. Oh yes, he was. He. I think the boy had OCD or something. No, no, he had to be the son of God. And if he was a mere prophet, he couldn't save us. He I met Gandhi once. Oh, Gandhi can't save you. Gandhi's dead and buried and rotten in the grave. Did you see the CNU? Sorry? He talks from Hades. He talks from Hades. He talks what? He talks from Hades. Does he now? Oh, no, he does. Well, we're, we're telling you about someone who's alive. Jesus, Jesus is alive. No, no, he did die, but he's alive. No, no, he is the Son of God. Anyway, sir. I don't think I'm deluded, to be quite honest here. I think I'm telling the truth because it's in the Word of God, and we want to present to you the I day of the Savior. Well, it's no use collecting the Bible. You've got to read them, and you've got to believe them, and you've got to put your faith and hope and trust upon the Lord Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's telling us that He was God in the flesh, but. His glory was veiled. He didn't reveal His glory. His glory was there, but He hid it, and it was veiled in His flesh, so that if He was walking about here, we would not notice anything unique about Him. But He was God in the flesh. And it's telling us about His humiliation and His condescension. And all this was in order that He might go and suffer and die. What a tremendous act of humiliation on behalf of Christ. Here was the Son of God, the one who brought the sun and the moon and the stars into being, the one who brought the universe into being, the one who brought all life into being and who sustains all life. That great and glorious person became a man and he humbled himself. He became a servant. And ultimately, he died a most terrible death. A death that no Roman citizen would be allowed. It was considered too humiliating to be crucified on a cross. Now, why did Jesus do this? Why did he undertake all of this? Well, he took this on himself, friends, in order that he might save. He came to save. He came to save young people. He came to save old people. He came to save male and female. He came to save people from different languages and kindreds and tongues. He came to save the people of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. His Son entered the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. There's the great reason why Jesus came. He came to save. And friends, we have to realize 
that we need to be saved. We might think that we live a perfect life or we might think that our life is okay and then when we meet God on that great day when we meet him somehow we think that it will be all right. We've nothing to fear. God will be merciful to us and he led us into heaven. Is that the case? Is that really what's going to happen? God says nothing impure shall enter into heaven. Nothing impure. And we are impure in his sight by nature. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 3 at verse 23 for there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God all of us all here walking around listening to this all in the flats all in the shop everywhere there is none righteous no not one we've all like sheep we've all gone astray it's a universal problem that has infected the whole of mankind since our first parents sinned and the problem is so great that we cannot address it ourselves and religion cannot address it all the religions in the world cannot address it only God can and he has done something you may well ask what has he done now that's not very nice to speak in public like that what does the Bible say out of the heart the mouth speaketh when we speak it reveals what's in our hearts and if we speak like that it reveals there's something far wrong in our hearts and this is what Christianity does address it goes straight to the heart of the matter the problem with us friends is the heart the heart the very core and the very center of mankind is defiled our nature it is defiled by sin and we cannot deal with, it, deal with it ourselves that's why we need a saviour and that itself is humbling we like to think that we're the masters of our own destiny we like to think that we can say, say, uh, solve all our own problems but this is one problem that's too great for us we cannot address it ourselves and when we do try to address it we simply make things worse because we turn our backs upon the way that God has provided for this is what Christianity is it's not man-made religion Christianity has come down from heaven the Son of God has come down from heaven. He knows the eternal and the spiritual world. He knows it. He has first-hand experience of it. 
and he's the one who has come down from heaven in order to address our greatest problem that we might go to heaven. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Well, friends, we want to tell you that today the Lord Jesus Christ was successful. You might look upon his mission as a waste or a failure, but that's not the case. On the cross there, one of his cries was, It is finished. It is finished. He cried out triumphantly. It is finished. And it goes on to say, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and you full of shit no that's not very nice is it out of the heart the mouth speaketh sir you need to be saved that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, sir. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm wonderful, thanks. When I came up and I went, oh hello, why, why are you filming outwards? Why are you not live streaming on the internet yourself? Why not just do it from the house and then get the sermon out? You know, like the back free church do. Why, 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 why do you film everyone else that's around you as opposed to just film yourself well, giving the sermon? We're out in the open air. And why do you have, I mean, belt and braces? But no, my direct question <laughs> to you was why are you filming the general public whom you are preaching to as opposed to filming yourself and then preach to the general public no, but just do it now well, will you read Bible, read, just throw one out from the no, no, sermon. would you let me answer what, you're asking me yeah, why well, I didn't ask you a question, I just asked throw one out and no, see where it lands no, you were asking me a question why okay, did it Corinthians chapter 2 verses 12 to 16 what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> That's too difficult a task. That's getting put on the spot, I think. Yes. And why do you have this and the Rode microphone at the same time? Because that's for this one's for amplification. The Rode mic is for live streaming. Ah, good. Well, that's the thing about the internet, isn't it? Well, that's modern not... technology. Uh huh. Oh, I wouldn't want to ruin your sermon. 
Carry on. With gusto. Yes. And what about yourself, sir? What about myself? I'm a professional YouTuber and live streamer. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. But what about your religion? My own faith. I'm uh, a Buddhist. Because I uh, believe that uh, combining skydiving and Buddhism is perfect. For Would you what? Ever, well, well, because if you <laughs> have one chance and then you've got another chance. And then, bleep, pardon the first if you bleep, it up, bleep, you get another bleep, two chances. Bleep, but you don't. Yes, you do. No, you don't. Yes, you do. Today is Prove the, it. To, Jesus is the proof. Jesus is the proof. He's the proof. And the life. Oh, he's, he's okay, Elohim is plural. Yeah? When I was in school, right. a teacher by the name of Nigel Goodrich said, now it stands for the Holy Trinity, but what that was was a flummox. He was, he was, he was putting the wool over our eyes. Elohim's uh -huh. the plural. Right. Yeah. God's not God. Answer that one. Well, Let's make man in our image, the Bible says. No, that's there's, what, there's a, what about the there? No, yeah. you're distracting, you're not answering the question. Is it God or gods? It's God. God. So you're saying that the Greek have it wrong? Well, if, it, it was written in Hebrew, actually. Not that, it was translated from the Greek. No, no. Okay, the, the if we're going to get into semantics, did the snake hop? I have no idea what the snake did. but he's Before it was cast down, or did God just go and landed on the planet after the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. I have no idea. It doesn't really matter. The snake tempted Eve. She succumbed and sin came into this world. So the snake hopped. No, I didn't say that. I said the snake tempted her. I didn't say he but hoped. Then what? God is omnipresent. What does that mean? He's all present. Everywhere. We cannot run away from him. We cannot hide from him. He's here now. <coughs> Wherever you will go, God will be there. And indeed, for the unbeliever who will spend eternity in that terrible, terrible place called hell, God will be there. In fact, God will be your hell. And that's why we come out today. And that's why we've come out on other occasions. That we might tell you about another way. That we might tell you about the Saviour. The one who came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we have to realise that we're lost by nature. What does that mean? It just simply means we're lost by default. And we need to be saved. Now this is humbling. This tells modern man, with all his 21st century technology, that he cannot save himself. That he needs to be saved. And it tells all of us. doesn't matter what language we speak. It doesn't matter the color of our skin. It tells us all we need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ alone. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Can you imagine it here? The Son of God leaving the realms of glory, coming to this world, 
suffering, dying, living in poverty, ultimately to be forsaken. He did this in order to save, to save sinners. How can he possibly save you? What must you do? Well, you must come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You must call upon him. You must turn your back upon your sins. And you must take up the cross. And you must follow Jesus Christ. That's what you must do. You must cast yourself upon his mercy. You must receive him. You must truly believe in him. You must believe that he is the Son of God and that he is the God-appointed Savior. You must believe that he suffered and died. You must believe that he rose again. And this would remind you, friends, that we're not telling you to put your faith and trust upon someone who's in the grave. We're telling you and we're commanding you to put your trust upon one who is alive and alive forevermore. Surely that's the Savior we need. One who has suffered death. One who has gone into the grave. But one who has come out. Who has, as the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's what he's done. This is why we commend him to you. Because without him, we have no hope. Where will you go when you pass into eternity? Where will you go when you leave the scene of time? When you meet God, what will happen? Do you have a Savior? The Savior, friends, is Jesus Christ. Well, the snake was a snake before he tempted, and then after it was tempted, then God did something to it. He cursed it. And the snake was then to rattle about in the ground. Whether it was upright beforehand, I don't know. I, wouldn't, I wasn't there. Well, and what about evolution? What about it? It's a laugh. It's a joke. <laughs> Who would believe in evolution? You must be mad if you believe in evolution. Well, where, is, where, is your, uh, where is your notice telling people that we're all being live-streamed? Uh, I have no notice. You and can, you can about, make one for me if you want. What about an indicator? Indi the only thing it shows is that the bulb's working. So... I wish you all the best with your mission. Good luck. You need to be born again, sir. I am, sir. Don't call me sir. I work for a living and I am immortal. Well, your soul is immortal. That's no, true. No, 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 actually. No, no, you, your soul is immortal. Funny thing, I'd have to make you sign a non-disclosure agreement if you wanted to talk about it more. Anyway, God bless you, sir. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. While the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. You know, friends, 
you can always get people that will ask questions that are, are irrelevant. But we will deal in the major things. And the major things are that we're made in the image of God. We're fallen creatures. We need, to be a, we need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who can save. He is the Son of God who became the Son of Man. Who laid down his life willingly, voluntarily and freely. Standing in as our substitute taking upon himself, his own body, the punishment that was due to sinners. He experienced that on Calvary's tree. God punished him in the room and place of sinners. And here is the wonder and the beauty of the gospel. When we put our faith in him, our sins are forgiven. And that's why we go out, friends, and we tell people to repent, to believe the gospel, to turn away from your sin, to turn away from your sin, whatever that is. And all of us are sinners, and therefore we all must know repentance. If we're liars, we must stop lying. If we're gossiping, we must stop gossiping. If we're fornicating, we have to stop fornication. If we're committing adultery, likewise, we have to turn our backs upon the sins of the flesh. If we're idolaters, that is, if we're worshipping other gods, we are to worship the one true and the living God. If we're Sabbath breakers, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, we are to turn and we are to be ones who will observe the Sabbath. We are to honour our father and our mother, we are to give respect to our parents and to those in authority. We are, in short, we are to turn our backs upon all our sins. If we are thieves, then we have to stop stealing and we have to work for a living. And the more that we look at these commandments, and the, the more that we see how broad their application is, the more that we recognize that we cannot keep God's law, and that we need a Savior. One who has fully kept the law of God on our behalf. This is, friends, the Christian gospel. God has given us a law. He demands that we keep it, but we cannot. But someone else has done it for us in our place. And that person is Jesus. And to be saved, therefore, we must have him as our Lord and as our Savior. There is no other way. Jesus himself did say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Salvation is found in none other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave his life a ransom for all. I've been in the whole uh, Good for you. James Curry. Aye. Uh, and you're a believer? I am. Good. I'm glad to hear it. But.
And Matthew Mount Luke John Knight from the first Christian Jesus in the Bible. Can you? And I'm 82. You're 82. Well, God bless you, dear. God bless you. I haven't got a husband, but I've got God's smile. You've got Jesus. Thank you. Times people say, oh, for God's sake, they forget that. Well, that's a terrible thing to say. Yes. That's blasphemy, isn't it? Uh, uh-huh. yeah. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth. The third commandment is, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. And sadly today many people, from the very young to the very old, are very quick to take the Lord's name in vain. How often is the word Christ, or Jesus, or oh my God, or Lord, spoken of out of context. That is taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It might not seem a big matter to people today, but as far as God is concerned, it's a breach of the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who taketh his name in vain. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. There, friends, if you remember anything from this afternoon, remember this verse because it tells us why Jesus Christ came into this world. He didn't come in to perform miracles. He didn't come into this world to reveal God to us. He didn't come into this world to set us an example. He came into this world to save sinners. And in order to save sinners, he had to become just like us. Sin only accepted. He had to be punished in our room and in our place. And God had to lay upon him the iniquity of us all. It is said in the early part of the Old Testament, before God sent a flood upon the world, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What a terrible picture of mankind that God saw and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Do you realize friends that God sees everything? He sees all our actions whether we perform these things in broad daylight or under the cover of darkness God sees our actions but do you realize that God's all penetrating eye not only sees our physical actions 
but he hears our words and he's able to discern our thoughts. He's able to read our thoughts. He knows what you're thinking even now. You can hide it from each other. You can hide it from the preacher. But you cannot hide it from God. And it doesn't matter your nationality. God can speak to any one of us. Whether we're from America or Africa. Zambia. China. Japan. Germany. France. Whatever. It makes no difference. God God is omnipresent. What does that mean? He's all present. Everywhere. We cannot run away from him. We cannot hide from him. He's here now. (coughs) Wherever you will go. God will be there. And indeed for the unbeliever who will spend eternity in that terrible, terrible place called hell. God will be there. In fact, God will be your hell. And that's why we come out today. And that's why we've come out on other occasions that we might tell you about another way. That we might tell you about the Saviour the one who came to seek and to save that which was lost. And we have to realize that we're lost by nature. <coughs> what does that mean? It just simply means we're lost by default. And we need to be saved. Now this is humbling. This tells modern man with all his 21st century technology that he cannot save himself that he needs to be saved and it tells all of us doesn't matter what language we speak it doesn't matter the color of our skin it tells us all we need a savior and that savior is Jesus Christ alone this is a faithful saying And worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Can you imagine it here? The Son of God leaving the realms of glory, coming to this world, suffering, dying, living in poverty, ultimately to be forsaken. He did this in order to save, to save sinners. How can he possibly save you? What must you do? Well, you must come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You must call upon him. You must turn your back upon your sins. And you must take up the cross. And you must follow Jesus Christ that's what you must do you must cast yourself upon his mercy you must receive him you must truly believe in him 
you must believe that he is the Son of God and that he is the God-appointed Savior. You must believe that he suffered and died. You must believe that he rose again. And this would remind you, friends, that we're not telling you to put your faith and trust upon someone who's in the grave. We're telling you and we're commending you to put your trust upon one who is alive and alive forevermore. Surely that's the Savior we need. One who has suffered death. One who has gone into the grave. But one who has come out. Who has, as the Bible says in Second Timothy chapter 1, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That's what he's done. This is why we commend him to you. Because without him, we have no hope. Where will you go when you pass into eternity? Where will you go when you leave the scene of time? When you meet God, what will happen? Do you have a Savior? The Savior, friends, is Jesus Christ, who alone can save. Well, it's been good to be with you this afternoon from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. We do extend a warm welcome to you to come along to any of our services on the Lord's Day. What's the Lord's Day? The Lord's Day is Sunday. It's the day when Jesus arose from the grave. And we meet on Sunday at 11 a.m. And we also meet in the early evening at 6 at 2 Thornwood Terrace. Go up to Barton Road and you'll come to the police station opposite the police station go up that hill there it's a steep hill I know but go up there and you'll come to Thornwood Primary School and you'll find our building next door on the crossroads we would extend a warm welcome to you and we also have a midweek meeting Wednesday at 7.30 it's been good to be with you this afternoon and we trust that the Lord will follow with his blessing upon the preaching of his word.